0: James 5:13 to 18. If you are visiting us this morning and you're using the Bible in the chairs, it is found on page 1073. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. James chapter 5 verses 13 to 18. If you're able to, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy Word. Is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. In his book, The Call to Prayer, 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Rowd began his introduction with these words, I have a question to offer you. It's contained in three words, do you pray? He went on to say, it's one thing to say your prayers. It's another to pray. In this little short book, Ryle substantiated his thesis that Christians are to be a praying people. Christians are a praying people. In fact, in the book Prayer, John Onichowiceka said that Prayer for Christians is to be as normal as breathing for people. Christians are a people who pray. God, in his word, commands us to call upon him. In fact, if you read the scriptures from beginning to end, almost every book, either explicitly reference or allude to praying the word prayer and all of its variations is mentioned over 500 times within 66 books of the Bible God's people are a praying people and beloved the thing is praying is a privilege we do not go to God by right It has been granted to us in Christ Jesus as his covenant people. God has saved us from sin. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus to once we were once enemies, and now we're adopted children to where we've been instructed to pray to him, calling him our father. Prayer is a privilege. Ephesians 3 says that we can now, in Christ, boldly approach him. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God's throne is a throne of grace. Beloved, prayer is a privilege. In fact, our delight in, our devotion to, our dependence upon the Lord, it is exuded in Prayer. God in his love for us loves to hear the cries of his people, and he responds for his glory and our good beloved. Prayer is a privilege, and prayer is powerful. The Almighty God responds to prayer. Prayer is powerful to where it was the Roman. Catholic Queen Mary, who hated Christians, say these words about John Knox. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the assembled armies of Europe. She knew something about how powerful prayer was. In your own time, look up the life of George Mueller this 19th century pastor who began an orphanage and it was solely funded through prayer. Mueller never asked a person for a dime. Instead, he only prayed that God would provide and God did. Think about the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement. It was black churches that came together praying for God to intervene in light of their plight in this country and see how God answered. Prayer is powerful. And sadly, many today, even Christians, have a different outlook upon prayer. Sadly, some believe that prayer is being passive, saying that it's doing nothing. But the scriptures make clear that in prayer we're actively depending upon our sovereign Lord. Through prayer we recognize our inability and we also acknowledge the one who is sovereign, who is good, who is powerful, who is able the one who can intervene and do for us what we can never do for ourselves. Some say that prayer is ineffective. And sadly, we ourselves can assume the very same thing. When Scripture makes clear, and even especially this text, prayer is very, very, very effective. As God in His love hears the cries of His people and He acts according to His purposes for His glory and our good. Beloved, if your outlook on prayer is negative, if you are discouraged, about the idea of prayer, beloved, hear the words of James this very morning and be encouraged to pray to our God and Father. So our big idea for this morning is this. Pray in faith, trusting the Lord to answer for his glory and our good. Pray in faith. Trusting the Lord to answer for his glory and our good. I have two points of exhortation from the text. The first one is seek the Lord in prayer. Second, serve one another through prayer. Seek the Lord in prayer and serve one another through prayer. And so James here, he is bringing the letter to a conclusion. And as he does so, he revisits some of the themes that he mentioned in chapter 1. He talked about trials and patience and prayer. Well, the very beginning of chapter 5, he talks about trials and patience. And as he nears the end of the letter, he zeroes in on prayer, talking to God. Beloved, if we're going to be a patient people who endure to the very end, we must, must, must be a praying people. I'll say it again since my wife told me to. (laughs) If we're going to be a patient people who endure to the very end, we must, must, must be a praying people. So our first point is seek the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. As God's people, we are to recognize the providence of God over every area of our lives, and that includes the seasons where we find ourselves. And not only that, we are instructed and exhorted and commanded to seek the Lord in any and every season. James gives an exhortation of specific commands in light of specific circumstances. And the circumstances, they range, capturing the human experience of life in a fallen world. He says, suffering. Love it. As Christians, we will suffer. James got at this in chapter 1. We saw this in chapter 5. We will suffer. Suffering here is getting at having trouble, distress, enduring hardship. Whether it's oppression or persecution on account of our faith in Jesus, whether it's a Rebellious and wayward child, we will suffer. And James makes clear that our first response should not be to go to Google. It should not be to go to our group of friends or to go on social media, but instead we are to turn to the Lord in prayer our sovereign and compassionate God who knows and who cares and who upholds us, we are to turn to him and cry out to him. That our first response is a prayerful dependence upon him. Praying many types of prayers. Pleading for God to deliver us from the suffering that we're enduring. That is the first prayer, but that's not the only one. We're to also ask for God to give us strength in the midst of the suffering. Asking God to help us to continue in faith, believing him as he has revealed in his word. While resisting the desire to see him in light of our circumstances, we're to pray for God to be glorified even in the midst of our suffering. Loved, we are to be a people who go to Him. In the providence of God, we experience suffering. And also in God's providence, we experience sweet seasons. James says if anyone is cheerful he should sing praises. Now cheerfulness, it is getting at the disposition of one's heart and oftentimes it's in light of a favorable situation. And the command is that we are to sing praises. Celebrating God's kindness and goodness towards us in specific ways and we are to do this in song singing songs like the doxology praise god from whom all blessings flow knowing that this sweet season or this sweet experience it is solely a gift from him a good and gracious god beloved the exhortation here, both exhortations, what he is getting at is that in every season, in every situation, God's people, we are to savor, seek, and depend on God. That in every season, prayer and praise should be the activities of the people of God, both corporately and privately and personally. Our situations may change, but seeing that God has saved us, seeing that we are his and we love him, the two activities that are to remain the same in every season is praying and praising. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jane says, that anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. The reality is, beloved, being saved does not spare us from sickness. And the sickness here that James is getting at, it is a severe physical illness. To where one is Likely bedridden. The sickness can even potentially be terminal. And one of the reasons why I believe that it is a severe physical sickness because notice that James didn't tell them to go to the elders, but instead for them to call for the elders. For the elders to come to this person. And sadly, in our day and age, this isn't as common as it once used to be. And many of us, in this day, we live these privatized and isolated lives. So we, instead of knowing and being known, we prefer to keep to our own selves. Sadly, some people would much rather suffer in silence instead to make their needs known and be ministered. This exhortation here is letting us know that God does not want his people to suffer in silence. That in our suffering, God wants his people to be ministered to, to be encouraged, to be prayed over. And so the biblical instruction is for them to call for the elders that they may come and lay hands on the sick. So, beloved, if you are severely sick, please don't keep it to yourself. Please let the elders know, for it is a privilege to get to shepherd you in this way, to come to you and pray for you, to point you to Christ and encourage you in the midst of your sickness. Beloved, your elders want to walk with you. In your seasons of sickness and suffering. James says that the elders are to come to pray, lay hands, and anoint with oil. So about anointing with oil. I'm sure some of you are ready to talk about that. Well, first and foremost, it's important for us to know that the oil here. There is nothing magical about it. And also, there are different views as it pertains to the purpose of the oil. I'm going to give you the two most common views. The first view is that it's medicinal. You know, think about like Luke 10: how the good Samaritan saw the one who is suffering, anointed with him with oil as he nursed this person. Cards at the table. I don't think it's medicinal. Call for us. I will pray for you. I will anoint you with oil, and I would recommend that you go to a doctor. (laughs) Others believe to be symbolic. It's a form of consecration. As you anoint this person with oil, you're committing them to the Lord and entrusting them to the Lord In light of their circumstance, praying that God would heal, but it's a form of consecration. You see this in the Old Testament, anointing oil as an act of consecration. You have this in Numbers chapter 3. This took place with the high priest and the priests. Also David himself in Psalm 89 was anointed and consecrated to the Lord. And the thing about this, anointing the sick with oil, it only happened once in the New Testament. As a New Testament reference, references, Mark chapter 6, verse 13. With the apostles being commissioned by Jesus, they healed the sick and then they anointed them with oil. And so cards on the table, I believe it to be symbolic. That we are entrusting this sick church member to the Lord, that we are Praying that God would heal mightily, and that we are submitting ourselves to His will. Now, so many people can get so caught up on the purpose of the oil that we really miss the most important thing. And that is to pray. To pray in the name of the Lord. I love it, the word pray and prayer is mentioned seven times within these six verses. James is exhorting us to pray and to pray in faith. And don't miss this. We are to pray in the name of the Lord, the name of Christ Jesus, the one who is the Savior and King who died, who rose, who has all power in his hands. We are to pray in his name, knowing that he can heal He has healed us spiritually, and he has the power to heal one physically. We've seen this through the Gospels. We also see this in Acts chapter 3 with a man who is paralyzed, with a man who couldn't walk. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ be healed, and this man was healed. Beloved, there is power in the name of Jesus. And so we pray in his name, praying in faith, believing that he hears our prayers and that he will act according to his purposes for his glory and for our good. James went on in verse 15. He says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord, will raise him up. Now, this verse has been misinterpreted many times especially by false teachers. And it's easy to misinterpret it when you extract the verse from its context. So we're going to spend just a little bit of time on verse 15 and some on verse 16 as well. And so it's important for us first to know that this is a promise. The word will is used three times in the text. The prayer of faith will save the person. The Lord will raise them up. God, their sins will be forgiven. All of this is God's work. God does this, and He does it in response to praying. It's the prayer of faith. Now follow with me. We have to remember the immediate context. James is focusing on effective prayer. That's probably your subheading in this about this passage. We gotta think about the context of the book of James as a whole. James is driving home the point that God's people are to have this unwavering, single-minded, committed devotion to him. The Greek word for the prayer of faith, in the entire New Testament, it is only mentioned once, and that's in this verse. In fact, the Greek word for prayer is different from the most common word is used in the New Testament about prayer. Now, I believe the prayer of faith here is referring to the elders' faith as they pray for the person. Also, the person being prayed for, they too believe as well. They're asking in faith without doubting. This should lead us to think more about James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Asking in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so we are praying in faith, believing that God will answer. Now one may wonder, well, the healing here, is it earthly and physical or spiritually and eternal? Depending on your translation, cards are shown because the CSB and the ESV use the word save. The NASB uses the word restore. The NIV uses the words make well. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word for save, pending on the context, is used for both physical healing and salvation. Which one is it? I'll let you wrestle with it. (laughs) (laughs) But cards on the table, I believe that we are to boldly pray in faith that God would physically heal the sick person while also entrusting them to him and submitting humbly and sometimes tearfully to God's will. I believe that no, I say this while also knowing that because of Jesus' resurrection and because of this person's faith in Jesus Christ they will be healed eternally. We have to remember the person in verse 14 is a Christian. James says, is anyone sick among you? They are a member of this church. They know their elders. The elders know who this person is. They have made a credible profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They believe that he is the Savior who died on the cross for sins, who rose from the grave, and through faith in Christ, they are united to Jesus Christ. They have been raised spiritually, and one day they and all the people of God will be resurrected bodily, freed eternally and permanently from sin's presence. Their sins have been forgiven because Christ's sacrifice has been made on their behalf. And if the sickness as a result of some sort of sin, then by God's grace, they will repent and they will be forgiven. Because of Jesus Christ and because we are in him, God will heal one way or another. And so as we pray for physical healing, we know that God will answer this prayer. It is not if, but rather when and how. It is either he would heal physically from this suffering and heal from death, or he would do so through death. Where they are freed from suffering and in God's benevolent presence for all of eternity. And so we can pray in faith and trust that God will answer. If the answer is no, and we say, Your will be done. And we do so tearfully, knowing that He loves us, that He loved them, and that His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, I want to be very clear I am not implying. That as we pray in this way, that God will answer this every time without exception. Nor am I saying that if the healing doesn't occur, it's because the elders and this church member lacked faith. It's not what I'm saying at all. Rather, we entrust this person to God's sovereign, good, gracious will. In fact, Jesus Christ taught us to pray like this. Think about the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Some of the first things we were to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, Jesus himself modeled this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not wanting to drink the cup of wrath, he prayed three times that the cup will pass him by. And how did he conclude the prayer? And Father, not my will, but yours be done. There's a commitment to God's will and a willing submission in however he wills. Knowing that he's going to answer our prayers as he sees fit. For his glory and our good. So, beloved, we are to be a people who seek the Lord in prayer. In our suffering and our sickness, we pray, we plead, we submit with humility and sometimes with tears. It's important for us to know that if God says no, know that it's it's not an indicator that He loves you less. He loves you with the very love that he has for his son. He cannot love you less than what he already does. So may we seek the Lord in prayer, knowing that he is our father. He gives us his attention. He hears our prayers and he answers according to his purpose. May we also serve one another through prayer. Brings us to our second point. So the elders, verse 14 and 15, they are ministering, but they're not the only ones who get to minister. So do we. Look at verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And so though we are saved by grace, we still live in this body of flesh. We wage war with the flesh, and sometimes, not sometimes, but we still sin. We heard in the prayer of confession. James even alluded to it, mentioned it explicitly in James chapter 3. We all stumble in many ways. James chapter 1, ridding yourself of all moral filth, all moral guilt, And the sin that is so prevalent. And so we still sin. And sometimes, not every time, but sometimes sickness is the result of being in sin. Maybe hard to believe especially in this materialistic and technologically advanced age. Some of you may think that I'm hyper-spiritualizing this, but it's certainly true. Think about Psalm chapter 32, verses 3 through 5. David, after raping Bathsheba and killing Uriah, he concealed his sin. in In chapter 32 of Psalms, he says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. There were physiological effects upon his body because he is living in sin and hasn't confessed it. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Not only that, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the context of the Lord's Supper. Verse 29, it says, For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, this is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Again, it's not to say that every time we're sick is because we're in some sort of sin. But it is to say that sometimes our sickness is the result of unconfessed sin. That we are living in it. Beloved, this is, when this happens, this is God being kind to us. That his hand is heavy upon us, that he is disciplining us not to condemn us because Christ was condemned for us. He is chastising us in hopes that we respond with repentance. His goal is our conformity to Christ. And so when we ain't walking in conformance to Christ, deliberately He will pursue us and sometimes His hand will be heavy upon us. Not only that, but as God's people, we want to grow in Christ. We don't want to live in sin. And so if we're struggling with some sort of sickness, one of the things we want to do is examine ourselves to make sure that we're not in sin. That's not to say that we are always in sin because of a severe sickness, but we want to at least examine our hearts to make sure that we ain't harboring some sort of unconfessed sin. Verse 16, James says, confess your sins to one another. Y'all, this we certainly are to do this when we sin against a fellow brother and sister. We go to them. We seek their forgiveness. We're also to confess our sins to one another when we are ensnared in some sort of sin. When we are struggling and not getting victory over a particular sin. We confess to God, confess to one another. for It is the very means by which, as a people, we get to bear one another's burdens and pursue restoration. Now, I understand, in our pride in this body of flesh, it is hard and humbling to confess sins. We want to be seen as impressive. We want to be seen as if we have it all together. And sadly, there are times when Some would rather appear healthy and have their lives wrecked by sin than to confess their sins and seek the grace that God gives in Christ and restoration that comes from confessing our sins. James tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Seeing that there's life, help, and wholeness, it comes on the other side of confessing our sins to one another. And truth be told, it is difficult, but it can become more easier when we remember and rehearse the gospel of Christ. That Christ has already bled for it. Every sin that we acknowledge is a sin that has been atoned for by Jesus Christ. That God the Father already knows it. And he is eager and quick to forgive. When it's as we confess our sins, it is the pathway towards restoration. You know, many years ago, I used to do student ministry. And we took some high school students to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we hiked um, this somewhat challenging mountain. So we got up early one morning, got to the trail and walked up this path. And Y'all, the path was a bit difficult. It was scary. Somebody coming down the path said they saw a bear. And I was like, why are we still going up? <laughs> let's turn around, let's abort the mission. But we kept going, sadly. <laughs> the Lord protected us from a bear. Praise God. But we kept going up. And at the very end of this hike, we actually had to climb a little bit in order to get to the summit. And as we got to the summit, y'all, it was one of the most beautiful sights to behold. It was breathtaking to look out and see the beauty of God's creation from this summit. Point of view. But how did we get there? We had to follow along the pathway. It was the only way we can get to the summit and see that beautiful sight. Well, brothers and sisters, James is making clear that the pathway to wholeness and restoration comes as we confess our sins to God and to one another. That as we humble ourselves and confess our sins to God, we're on this path to restoration and wholeness. That God in his grace meets us there and cleanses us and guess who he uses? One another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. As sins are confessed to a fellow brother and sister, that person has the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in that very moment, ministering to this brother or sister. Lovingly praying for them and pointing them to Christ Jesus. Reminding them of the assurance of pardon that we have in Christ. And not only that, beginning to walk with this fellow brother, With this fellow sister. Beloved, one of the ways that we minister is not only that we talk to one another using God's word, but also we talk to God on behalf of one another. We get to minister towards one another in that type of way, knowing that God answers the prayers of his people. We get to pray waiting to see how God would work in the life of one another. How he's going to conform the saints into the image of his son. And we get to partner with God in that through prayer. James says in verse 16, the prayers of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Our prayers are powerful. This is why Queen Mary feared the prayers of John Knox. Because she knew how powerful the prayers were. Beloved, our prayers are effective. Because God who is mighty hears and acts. You see, through prayer, God either changes the situation or changes the heart of the person in it. And in either way, God gets the glory. Behold how powerful prayer is, beloved. This text should really move us to pray because prayer really works. And as you survey the scriptures, what you have is testimony after testimony of God working mightily in the response to the prayers of his people. Think about the book of Exodus. Exodus 2, the people were praying in light of their oppression and slavery in Egypt, and it says that God heard, God saw, God knew, and what we saw is that God acted. Think about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Barren, praying, laying her heart, pleading for God to give her a child, and look what happened. God gave her Samuel. Think about King David and how many times he prayed for God to deliver him, whether it's from the hands of Saul or from one of the hands of his sons or from the enemies of God, and God always, always, always answered. Think about Elijah. As we read in the Scripture reading, he prayed that God would answer, raining fire and consuming the sacrifice, and look what God did. Think about Elijah, as we will see in verse 18, 17, and 18. He prayed that it didn't rain, and for three years and six months, it didn't rain. Beloved, think about Daniel, the book of Daniel. How often Daniel prayed and how often God showed up in answering the prayer. From chapter 1, having favor to where they didn't have to eat the same things as other people. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar having a dream, and Daniel prayed, and God gave an understanding of the dream and the interpretation. Daniel, chapter 6, Daniel was persecuted because of his prayer life, thrown into the lion's den, and God protected Daniel. Beloved, we have testimony after testimony that God answers the prayers of his people. Think about the book of Acts. Peter was arrested. And the people of God prayed that God would deliver him. And look what happened in Acts chapter 12. His chains fell off and he left the prison and he went to the house of the saints who were praying. Think about Acts chapter 13. They were praying and seeking God and God said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for he going to send them out to the ends of the earth. Beloved, God answers the prayers of his people. Testimony after testimony, and since we know this to be true, beloved, why not pray? Why not seek God in prayer, pleading for him to deliver, pleading for him to sanctify, pleading for him to grow, pleading for him to give us boldness, pleading for him to give us contentment, pleading for him to help us knowing that he answers, pleading for him to heal. Knowing that he answers the prayers of his people in his timing for his glory and for our good. Beloved, in the words of John J.C. Ryle, do you pray? And why not pray? We have the attention of our faithful and sovereign and gracious God who loves us in Christ, who only gives us good things. Why not pray? James is saying, our prayers are powerful because the God who hears us is powerful. So let me address the children in the room. Kids. Some of you are probably, like, really into superheroes. I know when I was your age, I was, and to be honest, I still am. You know, Miles Morales is definitely my favorite. But some of you may be into them, you know, like Superman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Black Panther. You love their strength. You love to see them come and rescue the day. I'm sure you're probably thinking how awesome it would be to get to call on them and to see them come and rescue those who are in trouble. I'm sure if you could, you would want to call on them and see them at work. Calling is amazing. Kids, one of the things I want you to know is that Christians, we have access the most powerful person in all the universe and all we got to do is call on him and the way we call on him is through prayer when we get on our knees and ask God to help God comes and he works on behalf of his people when we're hurt we can cry out to him and he answers When we need his help, he can cry out and he answers. Children, one of the best things your parents can teach you is to pray to God. Because the God of the Bible, he hears the prayers of his people. So one of the best things you can do is trust in Jesus Christ and then call on him and ask him to help in whatever situation that you're in. He will answer. Beloved. James says the prayers of the righteous is powerful. The righteous are those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, declared righteous through faith in him. He says our prayers really work. So why not pray? You know, 19th century pastor known as the Prince of, Pe- known as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he had a few. Ministers visit his church, and he took them around. They beheld the sanctuary that sat 5,000 people every Sunday morning. It was a wonder to behold. And after giving the tour, Spurgeon asked them, actually he invited them to the boiler room. And they were like, no, we'd much rather not see the boiler room because the boiler room, it was dirty, it was filthy, it smelled really bad, it was in the basement. Spurgeon was like, man, hey, come see the boiler room. And so finally they complied. So they go down into the basement. Spurgeon opened the door. And guess what they saw? It wasn't dirty or filthy or smelly. They saw 100 members praying. And Spurgeon said, this is my boiler room. And In fact, when every time Spurgeon was asked about the success of his ministry, he gave the answer, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. The prayers of the righteous is effective. It is powerful, and God works mightily in response to the prayers of his people. Then James concluded with mentioning mentioning the prophets, he mentioned Elijah explicitly. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain. Now, these Jewish Christians were very familiar with the Old Testament. They were familiar with Elijah the prophet. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom. James mentioned this prophet, and the very thing that he mentioned was his frame. He's a human being like us. We can pray just like him. Elijah prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. And some of you may be wondering, like, man, that's a very strange prayer to pray especially in an agrarian society, not technologically advanced. Why would he do such a thing? Well, he was praying that it would not rain because God's covenant people has abandoned the Lord. They were unfaithful to God. And so he's praying that it would not rain, and in fact, this is some of God's promised Yeah, God actually promised a famine as one of the covenant curses if they rebelled against him. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So Elijah's prayer was informed by scripture. This little guy had a big prayer, and look what God did. For three years and six months, God withheld. The rain as an act of loving discipline on God's covenant people, pleading for them to repent. God, in his sovereignty, answered the prayer. He's a big God. And then it says that Elijah prayed again later. And God, in his kindness and love and compassion, answered and gave the rain. Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed. So what do you think James is exhorting us to do? He's exhorting us to fall on our knees and take every care of ours to the Lord in prayer, leaving it there and waiting for him to respond however he wills, knowing that it is for his glory and it is for our Good. How much more should we intercede and serve one another through prayer, knowing that God hears and God wants to conform his people to the image of Christ? Beloved, do you pray? James has given us a compelling reason to take every need to God in prayer. May we seek the Lord and do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we praise you that in your love you hear the cries of your people. Father, mark us by your grace to be a people who pray, who are committed to the discipline, to crying out to you, interceding for one another, trusting and waiting for your answers. Father, may we see prayer as a privilege, that it would not be a dirge or a drag, but a delight, that we get to commune with you, the sovereign Lord, who loves us and in Christ favors us.